Alan Corbett. Welcome to VCTV. How you doing? How you doing? I appreciate you stopping by. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, we're going right. to start from the beginning all the way to the end. All right. So, you know, like... So, first, where you from? I grew up on a farm out in, you know, out in the sticks of uh, Franklin, Virginia. Um, after uh, Grandma passed away, we moved to the city. Uh, first city we moved to was Portsmouth. I remember we used to love off Victory Boulevard by Cemetery. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget that cemetery. I'll never forget it. And then, uh, you know, my moms and them, she was a... Uh, let's first out, I'm going to say, shout out to... My mom's birthday was just the other day. Uh, my mom just turned 56. That's a strong woman. Um, that's a real queen right there. She raised seven of us. And... Um, I look at all women. It should be like her. She uh, went to school. She got her business degree. She always kept us with a roof over our head. So, you know, shout out to my mom, Marlene. You know, it is what it is. But um, went to Portsmouth. And then um, my mom's an orphan. So she was giving up young. She know who her brothers and sisters are, but, you know, she ran with a, a wild pack of them. And um, while she was getting herself this, um, together in school, um, we moved from place to place, started in Portsmouth. And then uh, we moved with my uncle. He had a farm out the old Hickory, the old Hickory Deep Creek area where the, uh, the TCC College is at now over there in Chesapeake. Back then, it wasn't nothing back there. It was just farmland. And uh, we stayed for him for a couple of years. And um, that's what the <laughs> kids playing in the cornfield and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, my sister and them came around. Um, then we moved from there. I lived out Camelot for a couple of years with my aunt. That's when I met my other cousins and them on the other side of the family. Um, moved around some more. That's when we moved to Norfolk. Um, my mom met my stepdad. And my dad, he was around, but um, my dad was a, a real rock star Marine. Um, he loved my mama to death, but he loved the court more. And uh, kind of hurt my feelings a little bit growing up knowing that. But uh, the dude used to always pop up every year in school, unannounced, just <laughs> sit right beside me and um, just look at me, you know. Um, I actually get my name from him. His name is James Allen Carlos Johnson. Um, that's where I get my name from. So you, so you see your dad was in the Corps as well? Yeah. I'm a third-generation Marine. Okay. Um, all right, so question about that. You know, with your dad... Uh, essentially choosing the core, you know, over your mom. Right. Did that like? Why didn't that jade you, like jade you from one joining Marine? At first it did, but then as I grew up, going to high school, looking at everything going on in the nineties, um, political wise, I always sat back and watched everything and. I always watched back how my friends had their dad. Um, unfortunately, 
my stepfather wasn't the greatest male role model that I had in my life. So I had friends, I had some real friends that had real fathers in their life, and I looked towards them. Um, I'm one of them type of people I pull from everybody and put in my toolbox um, until I finally met my real grandfather. Like I said, my mother was an orphan. We didn't met our real family until 97. Um, and then I met my grandfather, Paul Staten. He was raised in out of Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And um, when I met my grandfather at the time, there was he was the vice president of Virginia's technology uh, program of communications for the state of Virginia up in Richmond. And um, but he was a, a woke black man. He was very on, you know, being proud, being black, being strong, being educated in your culture. I never had that at that point in my life. So coming around him made me want to know more about myself, being what it means to be black, the pride of being black, how to be a strong black man, and how to keep everybody around me. Even though I already had it instilled in me, mm-hmm. he built it more. <laughs> he built it more in me. And um I never I never blamed my father. But I always told him he should have been around more. We did get to have that conversation before he passed. But I understand. After going in the core, I understood to a certain extent why he was in the core and why he loved it so much. Um, he had some damage he was dealing with, with his dad, of course. Um, but we all have that generation trauma that passes on, that builds us up to who we are. So right, right. Um, me being a father for what he did to me, I always made sure I'm in my daughter's life now. So even though I was in the core, I was regularly in her life. So, you know, I got stationed the closest I can to her. I was in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I came up here every weekend to see my daughter. I fought every battle I could to get custody at, at any point in time. A lot of people don't know I put myself on child support. I made the, once I found out that she was mine, you know, I forced the mother to take DNA tests. Um, I do everything. For I live for her. I will always tell everybody, I live for my child. Um, that's okay. my first religion. Okay. <coughs> All right, so we're going to get to the core in a little bit. Let's, uh, let's, let's back up to, uh, let's back up to high school. Got you. All right, you are uh, a young kid, high school, uh, you know, getting ready to graduate. Uh, paint the picture for what kind of options you were looking at leaving high school. So at this time, you know, um, my nickname in high school was Chuck. So, you know, <laughs> I was always doing something. Chuck. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I got that nickname because of my stepfather. His name was Charles, which was Chuck. And, um, I played for the Shoot Park Cowboys. So um, he was the coach of the Bantam team, and, you know, that's how they ran. So 
in high school, I was a, I did a lot. I did the drama club. I did basketball. I played with Jack Baker. Uh, football was my thing. I played with Coach Cadillac. Um, I wasn't even in ROTC. I didn't even do that. Um, but I was with something called the Matt Scholars. I don't know if you heard anything about that. Is it Mask or Math? Mac. Mac. M M A C. Nope, never heard of it. Mori Minori Achievement Committee. It was a fraternity that we set up for the black kids in the school. Mm. Um, me and my boys got up with some teachers. Uh, it originated, actually originated in Ohio, and one of the teachers brought it to our attention, and we wanted to start it. Um, we started out with 13 black gentlemen. We all had a GPA of 3.5 and better, and we tutored a uh, gentleman that was, first we started tutoring gentlemen that was in sports to make sure their GPA was right so they could continue to play sports. Okay. And then we widespread it the next year. Um, I did that three out of the four years of my high school career. And I loved it. They helped me build build me more to like being into my community, my culture. Um, I was the treasurer. Uh, my homeboys was the president and vice president, big aunt, and she she would hear them in and out of the stories. Um, what I was looking at at that time was I was a computer nerd. Um, my highest uh, math class at that point in time was math analysis, binary codes, and stuff like that. So I'm in there doing stuff like that in high school. In high school, gotcha. Um, okay. It's funny because my best friend Cheeks, he was the militant. He was going to the police assault um, raids and stuff on the weekend with the cops <laughs> and all that stuff. And um, I'm in there in the books at ODU um, in the summers and stuff like that and um, going to college campuses and stuff like that. And playing football. Now, we football brought us all together. We made sure that we played football. I did have that one my freshman year. My grades was messed up. My mama made me go to every practice and every game, and I couldn't play. Ain't that the worst? And that Eat made me, that ate me up so bad where my grades never dropped ever again. Mm -hmm. So that was the first and only year that I ever, I did not play football from that point. So, so at this point, in senior year, I had, after my tape went out, I had a, I had Texas A&M looking at me. I had Syracuse looking at me. I had um, Virginia State, um, Norfolk State, and it was a, it was a, it was a D4 school. In Maryland, I played tight end, defense end, and middle linebacker. But I had a horse collar and these huge <laughs> shoulder pads. <laughs> I was a buck sixty five playing tight end and defense end. Nobody will ever believe me. That's undersized, right? Way undersized. And I was and I was putting up at that time. I was putting up two fifty 
15 times Strong. Nobody could believe it, but when they seen my tapes, and then I was running, I was running a four seven, so a tight end, pretty strong, running a four seven can catch. Okay, we want to develop him. Well, everybody wanted this red shirt me my first year, and wanted me to gain fifty pounds. <laughs> I said, I can't do that. <laughs> as much as. Um, as much as I love football, I'm one of the weirdest persons. I hate the gym. I hate the gym. I mean, yeah, it's not for everybody. I, I cannot stand the gym. Um, all my natural strength comes from natural stuff. Uh, me tipping cows, wrestling pigs, chasing chickens, stuff like that. <laughs> Chopping wood. Um, that's where all my natural strength comes from. Um Fighting for my sisters, my brothers, um, just dumb stuff like that. I'm a natural athlete, so I didn't want to do that. I threw that out. The, I threw that out the window. So I, did you end up playing college ball? No, I threw that out the window. Um, I actually graduated at the age of sixteen, and um, I did a year at ODU uh, before they even had a team. Before I went into the military. Um, at this time, I was conflicted with myself because I wanted to know more about why my dad left my mom. I never told my mom at this point. I just wanted to know why she wasn't important or what was so important in the core than being at home with the family. So I made my decision in the core after being a year in the ODU. What made you Okay so you joined The core specifically Because you wanted To figure out Right What was I got you That makes sense That makes sense Okay Did you ever consider Any other branches Nah I wanted to I wanted to follow In his footsteps Okay uh, Take me through The process Of actually getting Into the core Oh that was funny Um (laughs) So after the year You know I'm um 17 about to turn 18 I already did my SAT I I scored off the charts Actually Um, I think our highest score is like 110 I scored 96 Um, They put me in the Top 7% Of Most jobs that a lot of people Can't get and I end up getting um, Aviation electrician which is the third The SATs or the ASVAB? ASVAB, I'm sorry it's ASVAB okay. uh, Oh, my SATs I scored 14 22 So I'm not too familiar With the, with the grading system SATs uh, is a 1600 perfect score You scored a 14 14, 22 Oh Oh, oh you was almost there <laughs> Yeah right. um, I actually uh, I have a psychology degree A bachelor's right now So Okay I mean, like I said, I was a nerd. I see. <laughs> I'm getting that picture. I was a nerd. <laughs> I, I like to read for knowledge. I don't... I like to read for knowledge, but I read more so I can protect myself and people around me. So That makes sense. Um, my granny always told me if you want to hide something from a nigga, put, put it in, in the book. book. So, excuse my language audience. 
But um, they've heard worse. <laughs> <laughs> so. At this point in time, I scored a ninety six out of one hundred and ten. Um, you had the whole the whole job list over, over right. to you. And I ended up taking a avionics technician, um, which is the third highest in the Marine Corps, after counterintelligence and intelligence, basically. So, um, did you get a bonus? Yeah, I got an eight thousand dollar bonus. Okay. Um, after that, you know, the the. And what year did you join? I joined in 2003. Okay. Um, after that, um, the physical part was easy, running half a mile, doing the push-ups, sit-ups. That was nothing. That, okay. But I joined, when I joined, it was dead winter. I joined December 1st, 2003. Um, standing on yellow footprints was crazy. Now, the crazy part was going through MEPS. Um, going through MEPS, doing all the this, that, and the third, the medical stuff, coughing. Ended up meeting a young lady there that was going to the court, too. Um, we always have these strange... Uh, her name was Ashley Bunkart. <laughs> and she swore up and down she was going to make it in the court. And you can just... One thing that I have over the years is this... Um, I call it psychability to tell... Just to look at people like... You're lying. <laughs> so we all get to the yellow footprints and we there. And um, we what is the yellow footprints? And the yellow footprints of the Marine Corps are the first things you step on when you get on Paris Island or MCRD uh, San Diego. So they drop you off in a van and these are yellow footprints. You stand there, and depending on what time of the day you get there. You're going to be standing there. So, we got there at 1 o'clock in the morning. And we stood there to about 3 o'clock in the morning. Cold. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> and, lo and behold, Ashley passed out. <laughs> standing on the footprints. And she that, ain't doing nothing yet. And that's why they came out to get us. <laughs> Ashley passed out. And I never seen her again in my life. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break. All right. So, she passes out. And that's the reason why they came and got us from outside. So, mm-hmm. next, when you get it, um, after they pick you in, they have you come in, they sit down, and um, you start writing down all your information. Um, and they also they make sure you make sure you write down your 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 first account because that's gonna be the person that you gonna call. That's the only phone call you getting <laughs> for the next couple of months. And uh, of course, most of us we uh we call our mothers. Of course, I call my mom. Mom, I'm okay. I'm here. This down the third. And after that, it's time to rock and roll. I mean, um, you go into the. Um, you go into the medical room. You take your uh, shoes off to see if you're flat-footed. Uh, next thing, uh, you get your shots. After that, they give you a uniform, and then they start separating you uh, according to your platoon. And uh, that was a full-day event right there. Uh, also, haircut. Mm. Yeah. 
You see what I got right now? I've been there ever since. Ever since? <laughs> ever since. Did you go bald naturally or you? No, no I, went, I got a, I got one spot. But ever since then, I was like, it just just to be low maintenance. It's just low maintenance for me. You know what I'm saying? Um, it is what it is, you know. I got a Michael Jordan shaved head, so I'm good. At what age you joined? I joined at uh, 17. Well, no, I just turned 18 when I got in. Yep, I had just went after my 18th birthday. 18, okay. So I was in there, fight or fly. And none of this scared me because my dad and granddad's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things I know, I did go with my dad one year to his, um, he was stationed in Jacksonville, North Carolina. He was a grunt and. um, my grand, my dad had a live warhead as a doorstop. Mm. Grunt, like grunt means you like boots on the ground. Yes. It's, so grunt is pretty much like he's infantry. 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 Got infantry. You. Got you. Um, he okay. had a live warhead as a doorstop. So that's crazy. Yeah. Live grenades on his desk. He he was that type of master guns. My dad was six eight, two ninety. <sighs> that was a monster. And he beat my ass eight times. That's how many times it took me for me to actually beat him. What, eight? He was the type of man, you're not a man till you beat the man. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> I was going to talk about uh, basic a little bit. So what was, uh, what was, what was, what was some of the most challenging parts, if there were any, about, uh, you know, like I said, um, the, the most challenging part of Paris Island, like I said before, I was already mentally ready for everything. Um, the only thing I was not ready for is how many other people was not mentally ready for it. That was a culture shock to me. To see different cultures not ready to put in the work to make it get done right away. Um Grown men, because you're 18 now, you grown men in there peeing on themselves, hmm. crying in, in the middle of the night that they hurting. Um, stuff like that just made me look and just, you know, observe. Um, at the time, unbeknownst to me, um, my drill instructors knew who I was um, and tested me to see how far I would break, which I did. So, um, I think that was the biggest thing. Um, a lot of them just end up breaking down. We had um, one dude, his name was Terrawinkle, and they called him Tally Tubby. And just by him being called Tally Tubby, it broke him down. They used to make it, when they came in there and bothered him, they were, Terrawinkle! Do my song. And he was like, My name is Tanky Winky. Oh, no. <laughs> He'll do his little twirl with his hands up. Oh, no. That's a no go right there. And he would do it and he would cry at night in his bunk. And stuff like that broke these dudes. And. I'm like, it's just name calling. Right. I got that from my brother and sisters. They not ready for this. You ain't here for the name. I'm in here for the glory. It's two different things. So I think that's the biggest thing. Um, 
I had another young man named Charles. He was trying to lose so much weight. All he did was drink water. And during one of our uh, health inspections, he shed it on himself in the cabinet. <laughs> Why? Why? Why'd he do that? He couldn't hold it. Oh. <laughs> and all we had was our jock straps on. So. <laughs> dirty, dirty. So. <laughs> Yeah, that was a bad that was a bad look for Charles and um Charles ended up getting um discharged for mental health. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> him and him and Terry Winkle and but they got they got a lifetime pay, you know what That's I'm saying? That's crazy how that happens. Right. Um we had another gentleman, he looked like Kane. His name was uh Alphonse and he was trying to be too strong and end up getting a crazy hernia. Mm. And he got discharged too medically. So, them was the three biggest ones that's like, yeah, this it's, it's not for everybody. Not for everybody. Definitely not. All right, so we're going to fast forward to your first duty station. First duty station. What was it? We want to do first duty station or you want to do first school? Oh yeah, I forgot you gotta go to. Uh, See, we uh, go. We got. We do a school. Well, we do um, skills training. All right, skills training goes to Geiger. Um, this is where we do all our field training with different weapons and um, assault weapons and stuff like that. So the two forty grenades, grenade launchers, M fours, M sixteens. We go out in the field. Um, we do our map courses. Urban warfare training. We do some some hiking, some humping, as well as uh, what is a humping? Humping is uh, any time that you have uh, your gear. We got to use an Alice pack. It's a frame backpack that if we put on, it can go up to sixty pounds um, into the, uh, your pack. You pack everything that you need for uh, that mission into there and. You normally walking more than two miles at a time, so. Okay. Um, and we did that. That the Geiger only lasted for a month, and then you find out where your 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 A school at. You got an A school and a C school. Uh, my A school is in Pensacola, Florida. That's why basic electrician. Um, I learned that at, and um, I was pretty dope. Um. I was there when um that was it Sandy? I think it was Hurricane Sandy, two thousand four. Came through and wiped out Pensacola, Florida. Um, ended up staying in Albany, Georgia for like two months while they was uh Pensacola was draining out, you can say. Um, I had fun there. Um Pensacola, Florida is where the Blue Angels was at. That's where that station is at. So, um, Learned my basic electric, uh, electricians, got my uh, certificate for being an electrician there. And then I went to my C school. Um, I worked on a CH-46 helicopter, the C-Night, um, or we call it the Frog. Um, the Army is the 47, the Chinook, so that's the sister of it. Um, I stayed there for, uh, I went back to Geiger 
well, right beside Geiger, which is New River. That was where my C school was at. And I did that for another two months. So, um, which end up, New River end up being my first duty station as well. Uh, HMM 266. Um, where my call name end up being Problem Child. Problem Child. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you do that? Um, up to no good. <laughs> well, two things. Well, the thing about what I learned about when I first came in aviation is there's not too many black people because aviation is a smart MOS. So, especially AVI, electronics. So, when I got there, I was the only black person. And then two other guys came. And then, you know, I did my research and um, out of the 250 people in the Marine Corps that's aviation, it was only 30 of us. Hmm. <laughs> it's crazy how that worked, huh? It's crazy how that worked. So they did everything they could. They tried to make us break at some point. Um, I'm very vocal. I'm a very stand my ground type person. I would challenge you at every point that I can respectfully um, to the point where you know you just can't say anything to me. So um, I went to be a, a AO, which is an area observer, um, which is basically a crew chief. Um, and we all need call signs. And um, at that time, I had already got a. A NJP. <laughs> That's like a, a write-up? Non-judicial punishment um, okay. in the Marine Corps um, for uh, smacking my staff sergeant for calling me a nigga. Oh, wow. He was uh, from Mississippi, and he felt like uh, his authority was way more than mine, and he got these hands of God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, like I put in my statement, he got these two pieces in the biscuit because that's what he got. So uh, he got that church's chicken going on. <laughs> okay. We're actually going to touch on that in a, in a little bit. Gotcha. Let's move on to your first duty station. All right. So so like I said, I'm, I'm at 266. Um, it was pretty nice there. Uh, Where is that at? That's New River, Jacksonville, North Carolina. So okay. we in slums in North Carolina, basically. I'm about to say, I've never heard of Jacksonville, Jack, North Carolina before. You would never hear too many places of the Marine Corps duty stations because they like to be very um, blended in with the, with the civilian people. Um, you got Jacksonville, um, some parts of Biloxi, some parts of New Orleans, um, MCRD, San Diego, um, 29 Stumps, Yuma, Arizona. These are places normal people just don't go to. And these places are not highly populated either. Most of these places are at least under 50,000 people. Mm. And we are probably controlling half of that population at that time. So you're not going to. The only places as big as. Uh, San Diego and we call them Hollywood Marines so <laughs> they go to baseball games and stuff right while Paris Island we got the sand fleas and all that type of trash so 
explain ex- ex- explain uh, the living situation. You know, when you first get there, you move into the barracks. So or whatever y'all call, them. I don't know if y'all call them that. We call them barracks. Okay. Um, we don't live as lavish as other branches of services. <laughs> <laughs> We get old brick buildings that still come from the recession area. So, did <laughs> y'all have y'all own rooms? Um, starting out, no, we didn't. Um, the, when I first got into uh, my duty station, no. Um, up to that point, when I was in my C school and my A school, my C school, I did have my own room because I was a platoon sergeant. But when I got to my um, first duty station, though, I had a, I shared a room with a corporal. Um, he was trash, but he ended up getting married and lived out in town, and I ended up getting the room to myself. So, what what, uh, what pay grade is corporal? Corporal is E four. So you have private, which is E one, private first class E two, lance corporal E three, corporal E four. Then you got sergeant E five, staff sergeant E six, gunnery sergeant. E7, and this is where we split off. Um, first sergeant is more administrative. And, um, and that's an E7? That's an E7. He's more of administrative and um, the face of the unit or the company that he stands for. And then you have a mass sergeant, which is more technical and uh, with publications and hands-on with the Marines for the your job or your MOS. And then from first sergeant, you go to sergeant major. He's the face of the unit or um, the right-hand man or the commander of the unit. And then you have master gunnery sergeant. He's more of the face like a, of the technical team of publications and the MOS itself. Um, uh, he's more of a mastery of that MOS at that point. So uh, my dad was a master gunnery sergeant of infantry. So. Okay. He loved that stuff. Uh, he can tell you how many rounds can do this and that and which weapon is best for what type of area to go in and which grenade he would like to use. And he was that type of person. Blindfold, all that crazy stuff you've seen in Rambo movies and stuff. He did right. that. Okay, so a uh, uh, progression through the ranks. What's the What's the system like going from... E1 to E5. So, for us, um, time and service and time and grade with, um, we call them um, Marine Online. Marine Online is publications that we do for education. And we get we can get up to 100 points per grade. Um, then you have your PFT score, which you can get a 300 whatever PFT is zero the zero to 300 um and then you have your uh marksman score which you can get to 250 um that's easy time and grade once you get to um to corporate once you get to E4 trying to get E4 then you need points um it all depends you battling Everybody in the Marine Corps at that point. Okay. And if you uh, you don't get the points, you just don't you don't make the cut. Don't make the cut. Would you retire as staff sergeant? Staff sergeant. How long did it take you to make sergeant? Well, 
it'll have been faster um, if I didn't get NJP. I was going to ask you. Um, <laughs> was there was there any unnecessary uh, holdups uh, or you see, or, or was there anybody holding you back? Myself. Yourself. Um, I had three NJPs. All. You see the smile on my face, and I look very nice, but these hands are for everybody. So, all three of my NJPs was for assault and battery. <laughs> um, the first one, I like I told you, uh, Staff Sergeant called me a nigga, and um, he got these two pieces in the biscuit. The second one, um, one of my Marines was getting, um, I felt like she was being taken advantage of. Um, she was underage. She was 20 years old, drinking with a staff sergeant. And he was getting her drunk. And um, he lived across the way of my apartment complex. And uh, me and a buddy of mine, he was at my house with his wife. Um, and we seen her. And um, we walked over there, we talked to her, you know, because we two sergeants. And um, we asked her, you know, this, and the third, are you okay? You know, she discombobulated and all that. And um, we told her, hey, we're taking you back to the barracks. We take her back to the barracks. We come back. This staff sergeant proceeds to walk in my house. Now, my daughter is in the front room. So when he walks in the house, my daughter screams because she don't know who he is. Yeah, he got he caught the hands of God too, and um, I was told that I made a bad judgment call as an NCO hmm. for striking him. And I said, "So what about him walking in my house uninvited?" So this is me talking to my my CO. All right, and what does CO stand for? <clears throat> Commanding officer. Commander. Okay, that's what I thought. So um, my CO said, "Well." That was the first thing you should do. I said, defending my household and my family is always the first thing I would do, no matter who it is. I said, you could have walked in and I would did the same thing to you. His eyes got big. I said, what? I'm pretty sure you did the same thing to me. You probably even shot me. Right, right. Can't just walk into a random person's house. You just house. can't walk into a random person's house, especially <laughs> if your child is screaming. As a father, you would do anything for your child. So, all right. So uh, you got the first. It's called MPJ. MP, um, NJP, non-judicial punishment. You, you got the first one at at uh in school. You got. The oh school. no, that was when I first got into the my I, when I first got into the fleet. Got into the fleet. The second one. Uh, so, uh, do walk into your crib. Mm-hmm. I wish third one. Third one. Now let's let me be clear with each one of these. I all each time I got NJP, like either a month within a month or three months before I got it, I got meritorious promoted. <laughs> you, you got what? Meritorious promoted. Okay. <laughs> Wait, you said you got married towards meritorious. Meritorious. Meritorious promoter is like Before you explain that Let's take a quick break Alright <laughs> One 
right, Mayor Torres. So Mayor Torres promotion in the Marine Corps is when basically you skip the line again promoted from uh, everybody else. If you show extraordinary skills in all uh, fields of getting promoted. So at that time, I was what you call an Ironman um, pft or Ironman pft or is anybody doing over 290 and they score. So at the time, um, I did 100 pull-ups. I mean, 20 pull-ups, which is 100 points. 100 sit-ups, which is 100 points. And I was running a 1930, which gave me like uh, 95 points or something like that. Um, so I was an Ironman PFT. So I'm I'm looking real good right now. Better than in all my 1934 with uh, two miles? Three miles. We oh, run three miles. miles. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So we out there getting it in. Okay. <laughs> 193. 19. That's, that's, that's pretty fast. Yeah, we, we getting it in out there. I know people that were doing it faster in boots than you, so. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, you max out in the Army with the 13 minutes for a two mile. Ooh. Yeah, that's... You moving? Yeah, you moving right there. You're moving. So, well, actually, yeah, eighteen minutes is the f- that's, that's the max. That makes sense. Yeah, thirteen. Yeah, it makes sense. So, um, I'm looking pretty good right now. And then I had school, which gave me extra credit points. Um, I knocked out all my Marine Online publications. They gave me a hundred points. I'm doing volunteer work with Salvation Army. They gave me extra points. Humanitarian services on the side with the college, they gave me extra points. Um, I'm looking good right now. So I always did that. So when it came time for meritorious promotion, I always slid in there real good, um, no matter what was going on. And then I was doing exceptional at my job, you know, reading manuals. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and performing the task uh, as, you know, as we supposed to do. So I'm doing everything I supposed to do. I look good in the board. So every time I got in trouble, that board countered me being meritorious promoter and knowing my job kind of really kept me out of not being brutally punished. So, you know, I got knocked down a couple of times. You know, I was a corporal four times in the Marine Corps. Shit. And I still made it a staff um, just by knowing my job and knowing how to handle the Marines. But that's neither there. We're going to get to this third NJP. So this third NJP was... um, (laughs) So this... uh, We out out Yuma. We call it Operation um, Desert Storm out Yuma. And... uh, You said out where? Yuma, Arizona. Okay. So we out there, we doing our training, and we at this bar called 99 Shots. And uh, you go in the bar, they got all the shots on the wall and everything, different types of alcohol on the wall. So we out there, we doing our thug dizzle. And uh, we just chilling. So I run into this guy that knew the staff sergeant that I knocked out. I don't know. I guess they had my my picture on the um, the 
KKK uh, website or something because he pointed me out directly. You, mm. you, you, you knocked out. Uh, you got my homeboy kicked out the Marine Corps. I said, um, ain't but so many people know who that know about that situation. Right. So um, I said, look, man, we both been drinking. Um, I'm a corporal. You, whoever you are, you know, just you go and mind your business. Um, the guys that was with him, they drug him off, you know, during the night. You could see him. He eyed me. I could see him out of my peripheral zone, you know. Once I know that I got some type of threat around me, I'm paying attention. Um, He gets up and he comes and he smacks my glass on the table and um, I look at him I'm like alright man I'm gonna leave him alone I can say it's time for us to go our welcome is not warning no more he swings he miss and he get hit with a Patron bottle <laughs> <laughs> I leave a nice knot on the back of his head and um fortunate enough um I was able to get out of there without being caught. Two days go by, and just so happens, we in the hangar. I'm working on, I'm doing, I mean, I'll never get, I'm doing a 14 day on the bird. I'm getting it in. Nah, nah, nah. I'm, yep, I'm done. I'm about, to, I'm about to hop down off the hub. And I see him with a big ass bandage on the back of his head pointing at me. <laughs> Oh no! Did he work there? Or? He was one of the QARs, and the QAR is a quality assurance representative. Oh, okay, okay. And he was pointing at the bird at first. That's the bird I'm going. The bird is the aircraft. Um, but then he seen my face, and he started pointing at me. And he was talking to my master gunnery sergeant uh, of maintenance control. And he said, that's the motherfucker that gave me this knot. And master guns did the finger. And I said, this is the bullshit. That's trash, too. <laughs> and master guns said, you just got a meritorious promotion. And I said, master guns, he swung. That's unbecoming of NCO. I got hit with my third. I saw a battery. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, like I said, I knew my job and that saved me. Um it saved me. Me knowing my job saved me in the Marine Corps. Um that's why you gotta know you gotta know what you're doing to um get ahead in life. But in the Marine Corps I I really do feel like I held myself back because all three of them situations, you know, they could have been handled differently. Um, do I think race played a lot into it? It did. Um, you think you think racism is, is an issue in the Marine Corps? It was at one point. It was. Um, especially when I first got in. That was the thing when I first got in. Um Racism and the staff sergeant that they called me a nigger, he ended up getting kicked out of the Marine Corps. And that's why the last gentleman that I gave the 
the bottle too was so pissed off because he lost all his benefits and everything from that. Um, actually, from that whole situation, my staff sergeant, my gunny, my mass sergeant, and my chief warrant officer all felt the wrath of that because they knew it was going on and didn't stop it. So, um, yeah, racism was kind of huge. And like I said, it was only 30 of us. Right. And that group of avion electricians out of 250. So you got three of them in your shop. Mm-hmm. That's a coach shop. <laughs> right. Hey, so how is it to maneuver in, I'm going to call it an industry. How is it to maneuver in an industry where you know you got people against you and, and they're supposed to be your brothers, you know, in arms? But you know that they don't like you, or, they, or you know they may have something against you just because of the color of your skin. Just like I tell everybody outside of here, know your information. Knowledge is the key for everything. This is why I read. This is why I make sure I know certain information so I can always be a step ahead of of them in the industry. I knew they was against me. Um, I knew they threw challenges and curveballs. Um, I knew I did more work than he did beside me. Um, it was a Lance Corporate. He was way dumber than me. <laughs> but I was always out there making sure the uh, the maintenance was done on the bird correctly. Um, especially my own bird, you know, me being AO, I had a, a bird assigned to me that I flew on myself, but you know, I still had to help on the other ones just to get my certifications and stuff up. So, um, and quals. So I knew it, but you got to be aware of that though. Some people are oblivious of knowing right. that they're against them. Like my homeboy, Sweetland, He's Jamaican. All he wanted to do is go smash girls. He couldn't get the concept that these people don't want you here. And he didn't get that concept till they kicked him out. My other homeboy, one of the three that was in there with me, he didn't get the concept. Um, He got promoted first before me because he turned against me and the other guy. They turned him against us. Mm. Um, he went up to the board first and he got promoted and he turned into a snitch so you know I had to after I found that out <laughs> I had to you know keep myself away from him because you know you are who you keep as company sometimes you need to keep your enemies close I kept him close at work but my personal life I, he stayed away right. and um after he's the actual the one that got my homeboy Sweetland helped him get kicked out. So, you know, you got him kicked out, Sweetland, he worked at he was a admin clerk for the command. He got him kicked out. Uh I had to watch him. I stepped back for a little bit. And then Scott came along. Scott had to, you know, he had to figure it out. I never told him. I never downplayed Ellis. That's his name, Ellis. I never downplayed Ellis for what he did. I just knew I wasn't going to be around him like that. And then turn around, they got Ellis out of here too. 
That's how it happens sometimes. Ellis didn't even last his whole first contract. In aviation, our first contract is five years because we they won't get that four years out of you. But we do. It takes a year for us just to finish school. Right. So right. that's why we get five-year contracts. He didn't even finish his five-year contract. They got him out of here about four in the change, about one in the possible, you know what I'm saying? So I felt bad for that young man because he was taking care of his grandmama. Right. But that's what happens when, you know, what they say. What your grandma say when you go to church? God don't like ugly. Unless <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes you play in that game, you gotta. Yeah, you gotta, gotta know where to play the game. So I'm glad. Um, yeah. I, I was able to step away when I could. Um, and now at this time, I don't know if you know, uh, the V-22s was coming out. What uh, is V-22? So, the frog, this, uh, the 46 is, it's a helicopter about this long. But they got rotor blades, two rotor blades. Mm-hmm. And they, they bought one right here, one at the end, and a half at the front. So, they swing like this. The V-22... Is more of a horizontal, and the rotor blades rotate up and down. It turns from a plane to a helicopter. Okay. So it starts in the helicopter form. It lifts up straight, and then in the road, uh, the rotors rotate and turn into airplane mode and fly faster. So those things were starting to come around, and we had a crash on New River. And I happened to be around that crash, and I told them, "Fuck y'all," <laughs> <laughs> because everything was electronic right. on that bird. Everything was electronic on the bird, so we had more work to do than anybody else. I two partner, I gave them the middle finger, and I told them I'm about to do something else. So I went into logistics um, because I had. The NJPs on my on my belt. They tried to downplay me again, and it was like, "Oh well, we can't we can't put you at uh even though you still got your security clearance, we not, we not gonna give you a security job." I said, "So what you mean? I'm in logistics." And they was like, "Well, you know, you you'll be logistics, but we gonna give you food service." I said, "Oh, so you trying to play me?" I said, okay. All right. So, you know, the up top people and some of the, you know, the high staff NCOs that knew the guy, they laughing at me. Ha, ha, he, he. Yeah, I understand the third. What they don't know is when you give me apples, I make applesauce. This guy make the best of situations. I make the best of every situation. And I took that being a chef and what people don't understand is being in logistics, being in food service has so many different increments of normal day stuff that helps them outside of it. So not knowing just I was a chef in the kitchen, I was also their environmental safety officer. I ended up becoming the, uh, a EEO, or equal opportunity officer. I ended up becoming a SACO, substance abuse uh, coordinator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also got my uh, my OSHA international certification. You got OSHA? Yes. <laughs> From cooking? 
Yes. You, you That's know, crazy. You could have like construction and stuff like that. Well, see, as well as I was a galley captain and a chef, I was also a field galley captain as well. Okay. So certain things, we had to set up a field site, and you got to know all the safety responses and everything. So I also end up leading a search and rescue team as well. Because out in the field, if everybody's out and we in the back and the rear, who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna come out there to save you, everybody if they already out there? Right. People in the rear. So I end up being a search and rescue uh, platoon sergeant. Okay. You got to know. You got to know how to maneuver in any situation to make the situation better for you for you to shine on everybody else and even though I had these three NJPs on my belt all these billets that I held made me shine even more um what really put me over the top was after I became in logistics and I got all these billets my next two deployments and my next duty station that made me look like I look like I'm not even gonna lie. I'm not even gonna try to brag or nothing. You know, I'm a very modest dude. At one point in Marine Corps, I was God. I couldn't do nothing, say nothing without being touching. It was golden because I ran. Uh, me and my homeboy uh, that was down there with me, we won field mess of the year twice out of the whole Marine Corps. That's oh. That's crazy. That was crazy. And it was actually back-to-back years. And they looked at us like, who is y'all? Where y'all come from? Right. How many times you get deployed? Five times. Ooh, God. Dope. Five times. Two on the ship, three regulars. Five times. And how, how long did you stand for? Ten years. Five times in ten years. How long are your deployments? Our deployments are six to eight months. Okay. Okay, where have you been? If if you could say, other regular places, Iraq and Afghanistan. Okay, which one was worse, Iraq or Afghanistan? Afghanistan for um, Afghanistan was bad because of the terrain, but actually, you know, playing in the playing in the game, Iraq for me. Okay. Playing Call of Duty, Iraq for me. Okay. Uh, so walk us through that process of all right, you find out I'm about to get deployed. Now I have to actually pack. I gotta get myself mentally prepared and now we're gonna fly out and we land. Again. Unlike most people, I was already meant to be prepared for this. Now, even though I'm not a hood dude, I was around hood dudes. So I already seen certain things before I even got into the Marine Corps. Shout out to my dude, my OG named New York, BTP, Ballantyne. That's where I stayed at for most of my middle school, high school career. New York and my big bro, uh, my big bro Greg, um, 
these dudes kept me and my homeboy cheeks out of the gang life. They knew that we were some nerds that love football, but we'll do anything to protect ourselves. And like I told you, that dude was going to police stuff, so you know, right. raids and all that. He he knew all that stun guns. He was carrying all that stuff to school. <laughs> so you know. I seen stuff like that. Them them two OGs, Greg and New York, they kept me out of trouble. So I seen somebody get shot already before going to the Marine Corps. I seen somebody jaw get broken after one hit. I've been in a couple of fights before I was in the Marine Corps. So me packing and going over there, I the only thing I was worried about is the plane was going to crash before we get there. That's about it. I feel you on that. I that was the only thing I was worried about the first time. I was like, C-130? C- what? <laughs> they fit 130 people out there? That's what I was thinking. They was like, no, that's not what that means. I was like, what did it mean? <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> uh, we got over there and flew, and I was like, man, this is nothing. This is nothing. This is what we. This is nothing what it looked like on the movies. Okay, hold that. Thought about taking a break. Right. All right. Um, deployments. That first deployment. First deployment. I was out of Iraq and. Um, It won't bad. My first deployment was as as an aviation technician. That won't bad because Ava Airwing are the spoiled kids in the Marine Corps. We got pampered. We lived in the hard structures that was already built. We had AC. We had a uh, running water. You know. Um, we didn't live in the the elephant tents. Hmm. We didn't have we didn't use the elephant showers, either the field showers. We had the good stuff, you know. So we had electricity. You know, we was in our rooms playing PlayStation and stuff in the AC. Big chilling. Just big chilling, you know what I'm saying? And then, you know, I went to go visit some of the other people and I was like, dang, you know, we don't live like that. Go to the grunts. The infantry guys, man, got them packed in here like sardines. Go to the CBs, them the them the Navy guys that hang with us sometimes. Dang, y'all had to make y'all own, y'all had to build y'all own huts. I thought we was Department of the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> y'all got to build y'all homes right here, man. They hostile right here. I was like, man, we in there, hard structures, AC chilling. And then my sister, she in the Air Force. I go visit her. Oh, she was out there with you? She visited for three months. They only have three month deployments. I thought my heart structure was good. 
live in luxury, huh? She had a whole damn house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about we got a hard structure. She got a whole room to herself. I said, what the, what, the, what the fuck is this? A whole trailer to herself. Now, Air Force live good, man. They live good. Matter yeah, of like, fact, it, let me, side note, um, they was in my A school with me. And um, they got hazardous pay. For for just being there, <laughs> for just being for them being there, they got hazardous pay for living. They had one hundred twenty five dollars just for living in our barracks because it was not up to their standards. Then they got another one hundred twenty five dollars for just training with us because we have harsh training because we train harder than any other service. So <sighs> I was making an extra two hundred fifty dollars on us. Mugs. Anyway. I went in her trailer. She she had a double wide trailer at that too. I said, um, I know you're doing something in here. <laughs> she was like, What you talking about? You in the Air Force. <laughs> I can't stand you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They live way better than that. So right. that first deployment showed even in the military. There's a hierarchy, a structure of rich, middle class, and the poor. It's all classism. All types of classes. Mm-hmm. And you got to know where to pick and how to pick it. And you not know how to play the game. Now, in this first deployment, I met two, two off, two lieutenants. No. No one employed me, he picked up captain. Two brothers, though. Um, and I picked up some game from them. I mean, um, I don't know if he going to be watching this or not. Let me, um, I'm going to shout him out, though. Gilly the kid, I'm going to shout you out real quick. <laughs> Million dollars worth of game. I'm about to put y'all on game because I heard this before. And it won't just for him, but he says it, too. I'm put y'all on game. It's called God, Ambition, Motivation, Education. That's what game is. And they put me on game about the Marine Corps and the military in general. Um, and like we were talking earlier, as a brother, you got to know the information to move, to know how to move in the Marine Corps or any parts of the military. Because if you don't, roadblocks is going to set up where your strengths are not able to plateau at. So, I had to learn early in the Marine Corps how to pick my battles. Even though I was very vocal and also to be tactful. I learned how to be very tactful, very disciplined, and when to pick my battles with certain individuals. Because when I didn't, I got in trouble. As well as they they cut me down because the colorful words I like to use. <laughs> so I learned not to use as much as profanity in the Marine Corps because profanity all it does is shows you you're not intelligent. It cuts down your your punch of vocabulary arsenal in your debate down that much more. It makes you look retarded. And I'm a, uh, 
I'm sorry. I'm a benevolent leader. I can't use words like that. I need to use rich and intelligent words to make sure you know that I know that you know <laughs> that I know what I'm talking about. Right. You definitely do. And it's more effective. So I don't want nobody ever insult my benevolence. So they put me on game, and I, and I always appreciate them for that. And I've and I seen them later on down the road in one of my deployments. But, um, you know, them two gentlemen was a significant pivotal point in my first deployment. Um, that first deployment went very easy. Um, the, the biggest thing that I remember, I didn't do too much. Uh, we had a... The general got mad at the Iraqis for attacking us from afar, it was this place called Ballsack, and actually on the map, it looked like a pair of balls. That's why they called it that. And we did a, a all-out air raid, and I had that two forty golf, and I was just slinging it. <laughs> he just letting it ride, huh? Just letting it ride. He told us that every every piece of ammo we had, let it go. And we had the the F uh the Tomcats and the F fourteens and all that crazy stuff. We all there, we just we everybody doing they they rounds, they swap through and then, you know, the chest come after us, drop everything, and we ride back. In all your deployments, were you ever in any uh, imminent danger? Only three out of five. Okay. That that first deployment, I don't count that one. That was that was nothing. That was just an air raid. Now, um, going on to my second deployment in Iraq, yes. That's when I had the most Call of Duty um, kill streak, as we would say, um, in my lifetime. Um, At this time in my life, my daughter was more vocal. And before this deployment, I actually had to sit down, you know. She didn't understand, but she knew I was leaving. Um, And I made a promise to myself to come back um, to her. Mm -hmm. And that's what kept me alive. My daughter, uh, my will to be there for my daughter, my resolve to be there for my daughter is what kept me very uh, motivated to get through anything in my second deployment. So my second deployment was during the election time of Iraq. Um, All three uh, different um, entities was going back and forth at it. And at one point, um, I was a platoon leader for one of the uh, camps that was holding them right before the election. And um, the Sonys and the Shiites got into it. They burned each other camp. And they ended up calling um, some rebels to try to come in. And um, I had to do what I had to do to... uh, protect the the Marines as well as some of the people in the camp. Um, My gunny, he was like, I didn't know you had it in you. 
Corp Corbin. I was like, you ain't got to worry about if I got it in me. That's what I was trained to do. Facts. Um, everybody ain't trained to do it. Everybody can't hold themselves to do it. Um, after that little situation, I thought everything would have died down. We had a bomb threat two days later. I'm sitting right there with the other EOD, which is the ordinance, uh, uh, expedition ordinance uh, disposal. Um, Disarming the bomb. If that bomb would have went off, I would have been dead with him. It is what it is, but it did. But I sat there with him. I helped him out, and we good to go. I'm thinking everything's good to go still. <laughs> I get called. I get called down. And like, hey, we need you to go to Syria. Syria For what What are we doing over there We need you to go to KV It was the first time I went to Korean Village I'm going to tell you one thing It snows in the desert <laughs> <laughs> So the first time I went to Korean Village um, It was in the It was going into December Um we made a snowman over there with a with a rifle, the Kevlar, flat jacket and everything. Pointing at the gate. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for anybody to come in. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is Syria, Syria and Iraq, um, we call it the Iron Curtain. Um a lot of a lot of a lot of complications and back and forth um, missions was dealt on that front line. Um, we had to do a search and rescue for somebody that got hit with a uh, IED. So we ended up getting ambushed and. Um, I had to get to play some more Call of Duty. Um, it's different. It is different seeing somebody get shot in the hood and seeing somebody get shot in the field. Uh, the difference is the people in the hood know they're going to get shot. The people in the field think they're not going to get shot. And when they do, it makes it that more frightening for them. That scream—you would never get that scream out of your, out of your head. Um, that look in the eyes that you know they they may die. Um, the warmth of their blood in your hand because you're trying to compress to get to stop the bleeding. Stuff like that you don't forget. Um, you got to be very mentally strong to, not to let that psychologically take you at the time while still doing it and trying to keep everything composed. So um, I don't know how everybody else took it. Um, I prayed every night. And I think 
God for my daughter that made me say, hey, this is what I'm doing it for. So my daughter saved me through my second deployment. I will always, and if I ever get to tell her that story, you know, she saved me for most of my life ever since I had her. So, okay. But definitely my second deployment, that that little girl saved me, um, you know. Question. <laughs> so while you're deployed, right, mm. do you ever, well, well, did you ever think, like, I'm 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 fighting a war that really isn't mine. Oh, most definitely. Per se. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um and the only reason why I thought that was you start you start digging into information. Um start asking questions. Um and some of these convoys uh conferences that I would have to sit in, um you start listening to the the higher grade officers talk. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? This, that, and the third. And then you start doing your own, like I say, your own digging. Um, it was always alluded or alleged that we was over there for our own purposes of war. Um, to stop him from Turning the world currency into something. That was the biggest myth. Um, Saddam wanted to change the world currency to gold. If that would have happened, America and England would have lost power. Because they got the pound, we got the dollar. If he has more gold than everybody else... Did he get the power? He got the power. Okay. Now, what a lot of people don't know is America's got gold. Just they don't know about it. Fort Knox and another place in American uh, alluded history under D.C. is supposed to have uh, hold some of the gold bars of the old Civil War regiment type stuff. So we have gold. It's just... It's not for us to. It's for like emergencies only. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to have like, if I'm not mistaken, like three trillion dollars in gold. Don't mistake me, a FBI, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but we're supposed to have like three trillion dollars in gold. Um, allegedly. Allegedly, so you know, for emergency purposes only. So we got money, but um. That was one of the biggest reasons why we went over the oil and currency. See, what a lot of people don't understand is remember currency back in the day was salt. And I didn't know that. You said, you, said, you said the currency back then was salt? Some currency back then was salt. Okay. So, you know, um, salt rocks was a big thing at one point until... They found the bronze, the different metals, and they start welding and making them to, uh, you know, uh, the Roman Empire started making their own attachments of metals with their faces on them. So that's where that comes from. They had to turn the mineral, they had to get away from the minerals because it was so abundant to get it at any point. So anybody can go get salt. 
if you do it correctly. But who can make this metal? And then it turned into the paper money. Well, before the paper money, I'm sorry, the pound, which was over there in England. And then they did it. You know, technically England is supposed to be the ruler of the world. So. Okay. We all get this from England. Queen, if you hear me. Y'all messed up over there. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break. Okay. All right, so, all right, all right, tell me about being uh, a sergeant in the Marine. Like, tell me what kind of what Ooh. kind of leader were you? Like I say, I'm a benevolent leader. I believe in believing in my Marines, letting them make mistakes, and training them. To not make the same mistake over. Um, I was always an open door. I never fired off unless I had to. Because I want my fire offs to mean something. It was never random. Never random. Um... I always made sure that whatever my superior's pet peeves was that for you not to do it. So my biggest thing as a sergeant, um, really, um, most of the time as a sergeant, I worked as my own leader because my staff and CEOs, most of them was trash. And they got removed from leadership. And I had to act on accord, on my own accord, until I got to uh, Japan. So, um, as a sergeant, I had an EA billet. An EA what? Billet. Was that? Oh, you were like in an EA spot. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, like I said, I was in. I was running my own accord. I really ain't had to do too much. Even though you have the ability, you still got to respect the rank of the actual other people around you. Right. And they always going to look down at you just an E5. Oh, well. But I learned fast and quick, you know. You you can't you can't fire off on everybody. You got you to gotta listen to them. You got to let them know that I'm here for you. And um, I got three rules. Just like I tell my daughter, do what you told, be where you're supposed to be at, and be respectful. That's it. <laughs> okay. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Pretty simple thing. You do those three things. You you in there like swimwear. That's like 50% right there. <laughs> you, no, it, it takes care of everything because it's, oh, yeah. it's, right, right. it's simple but complicated. Right. So you do what you told is because... You ain't higher ranked than me, so I'm gonna tell you to do something. You just need to do it. Be you ever supposed to be at? It's all about accountability, right? And be respectful, customs and courtesies. Mm-hmm. Bam, that's that's the military right there. It's 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 easy. It's easy. Now, if you got a problem with something, I tell you to do. Guess what? You do it. Then you come talk to me on the side afterwards. Right, right, right. 
And and I and I explained that to my Marines. Hey, hey, hey. That's what you can do. And they did it. Now, uh, like I said, I really didn't have to uh, deal with too much until I got to Japan. Um, uh, Gunner Jones was, Gunner Sergeant Jones, I'm sorry, I'm introduce him properly first. Gunner Sergeant Jones, I apologize. Um, he hated attendance, tardiness. Mm-hmm. Very punctual man. So, I played a game with it. Even though he came in after we did, if we had to be there at eight, he came in there and he wanted to walk in and see us doing work. But if you came in at eight oh five, guess what you had to bring in? You had to bring Sergeant Corbett breakfast. <laughs> 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 so now I'm tapping into them pockets. Right. Now, 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 some will say that might be un- unethical. Right, right, unethical. But I'm not beating down the morale of my Marines even now. Okay. Because if you constantly beating them down with paperwork, the morale of and the the morale and their respect for you goes a different way. So most of the time, after the after the first time. They late, they get there, and I say, "Oh, you know what you got to do now. You got to make that run. Mm-hmm. What you want to eat, Sergeant Corbin? I want the ultimate. I want the ultimate sausage bacon sandwich combo meal with a large orange juice. Hey, sorry, sorry, was what you want? <laughs> I want the croissant, extra bacon. He want the uh, croissant with extra bacon, and he want the uh, cinnamon rolls." All right, make sure you get that. All right, you can go. Now you tapping in their pockets. <laughs> they got think twice. You like, they got to be late. They think twice. Or hey, I wanna, I wanna bag a nasty from the child hall. Go get that. Oh no, you're not taking the bus. You walking now in Japan. Everything is in walking distance to a certain extent. Right. <laughs> That's how it was. <laughs> From the from our uh, field house to the child hall was two miles, <laughs> <laughs> and it's humid in Japan. So, mm. yeah, go it's get two miles. There you go. No, it's a four miles. You're doing a round trip. Oh yeah, right. Two miles there, two miles back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a that's a tough. You know, you already did PT and you came late. Now you got to do another PT session. Right. They didn't want to do that. What would you tell the uh, up and coming uh, uh, leaders? You have the the biggest thing is being a leader is you got to learn how to motivate each marine, each marine, oh, each uh, military personnel that you have under you is special in their own way. You got to know how to motivate them in their own way, and if you can't do that, you're not a true leader. A true leader will know each and every person under them and what makes them tick, good and bad. You should know when something's wrong with them. Prime example, I'll never forget Ashley from from Japan. What made Ashley tick? Pussy. Pussy made Ashley tick. The word or? No. Oh. Pussy. 
it makes her tick as it no, makes her go? No, no, no. Heat. Oh, Ashley's heat. Okay. A heat. Uh, That's his last name, Ashley. So, okay. uh, but pussy may actually take. So, what did I do to make him do his work? Put pussy in front of him. his counterpart. Every time he had to do something, was a female marine. Now, he didn't know that I knew, and the female marine didn't know that I knew. He wasn't gonna be disrespectful to the marine, but he learned. More from a female marine because it came from a female. He more receptive to it. There you go. And he got more done being a combat buddy of a female. Now, most of the time, the women, the women that I put him with, was a dominant alpha female that liked commanding male marines because they want to feel as equal. Okay, y'all two work together. I need y'all to get them 14 days done to the, for the train ration heater system. All right, sorry, Corey, we're going to get that knocked out. Bam. I just killed two birds in one stone. <laughs> Actually, three. Because now both y'all working together and we're getting, we getting uh, equipment training and qualifications. Done. Gunny walks in, he see that, he happy. Right. Okay. Especially keeping Ashley out of trouble. Right. <laughs> in your time um, in the service, did you see a lot of um, a lot of uh, sharp incidents, or did you are we like in, involved with a lot of sharp incidents? And sharp for anybody who don't know, uh, sexual harassment assault uh, response program. That's what it is. That's what it is named the Army, but for the Marines, did you, did you see a lot of that? Yes. How big of a problem was it? Sexual harassment was ridiculous. The problem was with sexual harassment is proving it. Now, I became an EEO um, later on down the line. And um, a lot of these things you had to prove. And some of them were just immiscible. It's a he says versus he says type of situation. If you didn't have receipts or video or um, some type of audio with them actually doing that at that point in time, and they got thrown out. Right. Crazy. And you you knew about, you know, some of the, like, we had one girl, oh, I'll never forget her, Kelly, meritorious promoted, because she was doing one of the gunnery sergeants. She ain't know nothing about her craft. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you just get meritorious promoted. Then you run. Then you run the tug into one of the planes. You supposed to get NJP, but that gunny stepped up for you. Mm. Then the gunny stepped up for you because he wants some more. Now it's, get off me, because you got the rank now. Right. Sex harassment, but you've been doing this the whole time. That's Stop. how. That's how these fellas get caught up. You, you give them the power. Sometimes some of these, excuse me, sometimes, let me, sometimes some of you women ain't worth what you sit on. Hmm. Let me say that for some people that needs to hear this. (laughs) Sometimes you women ain't worth what you sit on. It causes a lot of trouble to a lot of men in different type of positions of power. Luckily, I'm not one of the men 
that works like that. I'm gonna treat you Hold equal. That thought. Ooh. <laughs> we about to get into it. <laughs> Luckily, I'm one of the men that don't use that tactic. I'm going to treat you as equal as everybody, especially if we're getting paid the same. Equal opportunity. So if you want to do what I do, we're going to continue to do that. I never had to uh, use my rank to uh, put a woman into a certain situation. Female Marines was always comfortable around me. And I always told them, you don't need to be doing that or doing this. Or don't let the, the men get in your way because they will. But that sex harassment stuff, uh, a lot of careers has went down because of that. Especially of the higher ranks with the, 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 the lower ranking Marines. So... It's an unfortunate situation. Definitely. I don't. I don't like it at all. I think uh, fraternization is should. I'm glad it's a rule of regulation in the military. I think it can be tweaked a little bit. Um, I think it depends on the circumstances of uh, how your relationship starts. You know. Right. Um, if I meet you out on the street and I don't know that you're an officer, then you know I don't know you're an officer. But if I meet you in uniform, then we ain't doing this. So, okay. sexual harassment is it's a it's still a big deal. Um, it's, it's a lot of male egos out there, and don't get it twisted. The female on female is starting to come high in numbers too. So, now nah, you're right. It's just it's 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 so fishy because you never know. You never really know. Like what's true and what's not, right? Unless you see it firsthand, right? You know, or you know, it's receipts or something like that. And then, like you said, like some, like some women just don't don't want to be in that unit no more, or something like that. And they say things, but then also sometimes it really happens. Most of the women um, sexual harassment situations uh, come off irrational, emotional uh, reaction. Um, rejection is the biggest thing. And um, most of the time, and in most case studies, they know each other. They know each other, and they they got some type of relationship with each other. And uh, it just takes a turn for the worse from just a bad conversation. So it's sad to say that, but that's just how society is, unfortunately. Definitely. Uh, I was about to move on to something. Oh, okay. So uh, back to your career. At, at at what point did you? At what point did you? Uh, I think you alluded to it earlier. But what point did you say, "Okay, I'm done. I'm done with the Marines. It's time to move on." When my daughter. Um, one, 
my daughter, um, I couldn't get her medically cleared to go to Japan with me. Um, she has epilepsy, and um, it kind of, I took that as a blow to me um, because I wanted her to experience that. And then secondly, um, it became too political. Explain I, that. After, why don't you read Sergeant? It's a political game now. You you out here like a lobbyist. You got to know information. You got to know... You got to know the people that's setting the rules and the standards. You got to make sure you talk to the people that's setting the rules and the standards, which is your CEOs, your generals, and stuff like that. And they want you to play this game. Now, you either going to play the game or you're not. And then you have individuals like me that like to make their own lane, which is just as bad as not playing the game sometimes. Um, The only reason why I got lucky in getting promoted because the last command before, the second to last command, I had an all-black command. Mm. I got lucky. And they seen my potential. No other command looked at my training record and looked at all my scores. Was like, "Oh my God, Jesus, that, that you made a ninety six on the where, where did this come from?" I'm like, "You know, you know, you know me. You know, I, I do a little something, something. You know what I'm saying?" <laughs> and my captain looking at me he's like, "Look, I'm about to, I'm about to get promoted, and I, I need you to. What about you being a chief warrant officer?" I was like. You really think I can do it? He was like, with these scores, you can do it. I was honored at first. But I also felt like I needed to learn more before I became a Mustang. But then when I started going to some of the classes and I seen the games they was playing, that's when I started backing away. Some things I'm not going to do. I'm not going to discreet myself as a man to play these games for some of these higher-ups. I'm not a yes person. Never will be. Just, it's not my thing. Okay. So if it, it depends on what command you fall in. Because I tell anybody, if you can get me to follow you, you got a dangerous team. Cause I'm your X factor. Okay, I'm gonna take a break. All right. All right, transitioning out the Marines into the civilian life. How was that? How was that experience? I'm a hustler, baby. Shout out to Jay Z. Um. That process is, they don't tell you everything to, to what you expect. 
<clears throat> the biggest thing, let me tell everybody. Start your disability <laughs> three months, three to six months before you getting out. Please do get all that money. Um, other than that, um, I took a six month hiatus because you know I had some I had some guap saved up. You know, I got bored really quick. Six months, I can't sit still for six months. I understand. So you know, I was I I had to get back out there at work. Um, your veteran preference it's going to help you out on everything. Um, make sure you know your geo uh, geo geological location, uh, where you are in the United States to look for certain jobs. Um, when I got out, I was in Yuma, Arizona. There's nothing there. <laughs> nothing there. Um, <clears throat> but I got lucky. Um, I was an insurance agent for Humana. Um, I have my health and life license. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I learned some of the game over there. Um, it kept me <clears throat> well above water. Um, but I learned the ins and outs of insurance and how cruel insurance is to the American economy. So it's pretty bad. That transition from being out in the Marine Corps, the Marine Corps is very structured. And they they give you the foundation to be a leader anywhere. Now, also, I was in the Marine Corps. I also gained a, a ability, which is a, a class certification called Lean Six Sigma. A lot of leaders need to go to that class. It's actually a requirement if you go to Amazon Management to have that. It's one of the few companies that has it. I was in Lean Six Sigma. Basically, if you put me anywhere, I'm supposed to make your company 10% efficient within a 90-day period. That's tough. When I went to my class, I was sitting beside a VP of Sony for the West Coast. That's how... In demand that class is That's how in need of that class is And a lot of people Don't even know about it It's one of them Under the table master classes For the four or five hundred companies So um, I'm told From the class itself Most of the The, the green belt classes Which is the first belt um, It's like a $3,000 class For three days so $1,000 per day. All the other classes are $5,000 and up. Mm. And if you don't pass the class, you don't get no refund, no nothing. Mm. So you better pass the class. So um, having certain certifications like that in OSHA International, um, EEO, um, being an actual leader of, I had as many as 152 Marines under me. 
attention to detail, stuff like that makes it better for me to lead and pay attention when I work out here. But like right now, I work in the post office. It's very disorganized. And a lot of time they ask me, oh, you know, you did this and that. And I said, leadership reflects attitude. And they can't say nothing. Because if you don't know, how you expect me to know? The blind can't lead the blind. Well, I know. You just don't know. That's the problem. Do you have any PTSD? Every black man in America got PTSD. Do <laughs> <laughs> you have any PTSD related to the Marines? <laughs> yeah, I do. Does but, it affect your day-to-day life? Um, I have migraines. Okay. Um, well, what y'all call um, shell shock, you know. A couple of the little bangers here and there, but, you know, I just get migraines. That's it. Okay. I don't get no rage, nothing like that. I can do that on my own. <laughs> but um, nothing major where um, I'm scared for anybody around me. No. Okay, that's good. Okay. I got one last question for you. Uh, what would you say to uh, any uh, upcoming uh, military uh any upcoming people going into the military, thinking about going to the military, in the Marines specifically, what would you tell them uh, as some, you know, word of advice <clears throat> if they plan on making it a career? Like what to look out for or just how to, you know, be successful and get what they want? You need a, a personal roadmap for yourself. You need to... It was a book from Walt Disney where he put out every five years what he had going on. You need to put out what you need, what you want to achieve every five years if you're going to stay in the military like that. Um, school, kids, um, certain qualifications, certain ranks. You need to have, you need to, f- have something to strive for something because if you don't you're going to lose yourself in the military especially right now um unfortunately you know i seen a devil dog on social media talking about going to kill china he has lost himself into the stereotypical military instead of sitting himself down and having himself grounded on what he needs to keep him and his family together during this time frame. Please don't let the Marine title go to your head. You're still a human. Alan Corbett, I appreciate your time. No problem.